Tonight, on a very special episode of What Would You Say You Do Here, our hosts Aaron and Katie are joined by special guest Emily to discuss product and design. Are they the same thing? So grab your 8 or 13 story points and let's join our hosts. Hey, what a special episode. Yes, today we have a very important topic. Design and product. Will we ever really be friends? No, but really, product and design. <laughs> and with us today... Uh, yeah, my name is Emily Fennell, and I am the head of design and senior product manager for Pindrop in Atlanta, Georgia. Awesome. And Emily and Aaron and I have all worked together before, mm-hmm. so if there's a little bit of silliness today. That's why. We can't help it. So I think a very important question is, what are you drinking tonight, Emily? Um, this is water fresh from my refrigerator. Wow. I'm very thirsty. I have been trying not to lose my voice today. <laughs> so I am just hydrating. Aaron, how about you? What are you drinking? Man, I should probably be drinking water now that I think about it. <laughs> I'm drinking beer. Uh, surprise. Mm, is it a good beer? It's a pretty good beer. It's a Belgian single, which is uh, like a, a blonde ale with a, some kind of fruity Belgian character. It's a, a kind of a holiday tradition in my house to, to have this beer. So I, I made it uh, in time for Christmas recently. Mm. I did always enjoy talking about beer with Aaron when we worked together, especially if we were at down at Cypress oh, yeah. having yeah. drinks. Because I feel like we, we didn't like exactly the same beers, but we had just enough of an overlap that we could find some that we both enjoyed. So yeah. I miss having people like that to talk about beer. Yeah. I miss being able to go to a bar. Uh, and- <laughs> I miss that. Have, sitting down and having someone bring you a drink. I did get that. Over. My husband did bring me my drink. Oh, that's nice. there, so That was almost the same okay. experience. But yeah, my, my bar is just Pretty in my nice. kitchen. It's not as fun. <laughs> I already know what's on tap because it's, it's whatever I bought at the grocery store. Because it's water. Yeah. It's, it's water. water and it's the beer I purchased. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to let you down, Aaron. I'm also drinking water. However, I am drinking bubbly, mm. which is not champagne. It is ah. sparkling water. Mm. What What flavor are you dining on this evening? It's grapefruit. It's the mm. best. The best. I was flavor. drinking some bubbly Lacroix earlier, but I, 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 I like the name of the Lacroix better because they call it Pamplemousse, and I just love saying Pamplemousse. But yeah. um, I do actually like the bubbly a little bit better. Well, I like the non-traditional. I like tangerine and key lime. Tangerine is honestly the best. I just discovered it Solid. recently. It's now my mm-hmm. our house favorite. Uh, lim- limoncello is also really okay. Good. Yeah, they had that at Costco. I got I tried mm-hmm. that recently too. Fantastic. All right. Well, Emily, how did you get into design? I don't think we've ever talked about that. Yeah, I don't know if we have. So I had a long and fun journey to get here. Um, I did start technically in design with my education. So my degree is in uh, design, technology, and industry, which is a very vague phrase that I am so grateful for because it it has (laughs) lent itself to all of my changes through my career in design and that it's not one specific discipline it's sort of all well played college yeah I know I'm really proud of my college because it was the only design degree they had so I went this is for me (laughs) um but what that really meant was I looked at more than just one type of design I did um sort of more studio art you know, I had to take drawing, which I was not great at. I did like topography courses. I did 
um, some courses on web development and kind of just anything in between. And you can sort of pick and choose courses you wanted out of the list. So you could sort of make your own degree out of it. It was it was actually a really great program. It's like fun. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. I think when I graduated somewhere around there, they had just hit about 10 years of the program. Um, mm-hmm. So it was still fairly new uh, when I was there. So they were really open to sort of adjusting it and seeing what worked best for everyone. Um, so from there, I worked for a consulting company, not really doing design for only about half of it. Um, kind of was doing whatever they wanted me to do. Um, and it was really just, you know, a, I'm out of college and I need a job. I then worked for several years as a uh, web developer and designer at an advertising agency, um, which is definitely an up and coming industry today. Um, (laughs) uh, So I did that for several years. Uh, After that, I realized I didn't love web development and I wasn't really good at it. I was just good at doing some CSS to get whatever my design was together. So I stopped doing that and then started just trying to find my way into what I wanted to do. I eventually ended up uh, doing freelance work for a while. And that's when I really found and fell in love with uh, UX. I started doing apps like mobile apps and um, found that I was actually kind of good at it um, and was able to apply all those random classes that I took in college and do some of my career experience and um, use that to sort of grow that. Freelance didn't work out after a while. And so I moved to Atlanta from Alabama and started working for another company as a a UI designer. But I was working hand in hand with UX designers. We'd split the the two disciplines. So they would do research and wireframes. And then we would do um, what we were jokingly referred to as uh, the pixel pushing, where we would just put our buttons where they go and and make it look nice and then go back to the UX designer and say, are you sure we should do this? Because... I think this would be better. And from there, I I moved into Pindrop and um, they kind of just said, can you do all of it? Which meant (laughs) it was exactly what I wanted to do, actually, um, because I I was already interested in user experience. I picked up a lot of it. I had done a a lot of like learning on my own, whether it was at conferences or reading or online and was just ready to apply that. And they were, Pindrop was really welcoming to the fact that I, had not had many careers, you know, in previous jobs in user experience specifically. Either that or they just didn't notice, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but they were really open to it and I was able to grow with that and and find, you know, the, the best parts of, of it and how I can apply my passion for user experience and design um, into yeah. our products. Oh, that's awesome. Well, uh, Emily, we started out our podcast talking about product management and what it is and what it's not. What about UX and design? What is UX and what is it not? It's not design, apparently. That's what I've heard. That's the word on the street. It is and it isn't. So my, my favorite UX phrase to say is it depends. <laughs> depends on who you ask. <laughs> hey, we say that a lot in product too. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. So uh, user experience design is really focused on the, your human interaction with a system or a computer. Uh, that includes your your emotions, your um, psychology, positive and negative experiences they have with it. Um, and that could be anything from a website or an app to like an elevator or um, you know a kiosk to uh, check in at the airport. And then what is design? Ooh, what is design? It depends. 
Design, as far as what I do, is everything after the experience. So that's what does it look like? What are the interactions that you get? What is the feedback that you get from it? So design could be making it look good um, that, and it goes hand in hand with user experience. So you, can, you can't really have one and be successful without the other. You can do just a web design, but without taking into account user experience, you may lack in some areas, you may have frustrated users, you may you know, fail in accessibility. It can look really good, but not work very well. And you've, you've succeeded in design, but failed in UX. Exactly. That makes sense. I've never uh, heard that sort of like differentiation before, but it, it makes sense. And would you say, Emily, you do both UX and design? I do both. So uh, my title technically says that I do UX design, but I often tell people um, in conversation that I do UX UI because I, I do, I'm kind of a, a, a one, one-stop shop. I do the research, I do the, um, the usability, I do the, you know, the inf- uh, information architecture, I do the, the actual design. I do sort of, you know, all of it. And you do products. So you, you're basically just doing and I do products. everything. <laughs> I just don't sleep. Oh, okay. That explains yeah. a lot, actually. Yeah. All right. Well, what about what is design not? Design is not development. I, a personal pet peeve of mine, I see a lot of uh, jobs or even people with these titles that say like UX developer. And I've still, I've racked my brain for years and I don't know how anyone can develop an experience. You develop the, the interface, you develop the, the UI or you develop the, the, you know, the software that that person is using, but you don't develop emotions or, you know, your psychology of it. You don't develop those, those interactions. You just, you just develop the part that they, you know, they work with and all of the rest of that that happens between the user is what user experience is. So when, when someone's hiring a UX developer, sorry, uh, is mm-hmm. that, are they hiring a developer or are they hiring someone that does UX? It seems like they're hiring both. I'm sure you've seen at least one position before where they're asking for essentially the unicorn that does everything. And they're looking for more than just a generalist, they're looking for a generalist in like six positions. And if, I feel like what they're wanting is a designer that does UI design, someone that does user experience, and then someone that develops it. And I, I know I've seen a movement in the user experience community to do more development and do it for prototyping. And I think that's different than being like a full out developer. Doing some prototyping code to say, this is how I want it to interact and be able to hand that off instead of just like a flat mock-up can be really good with working with engineers. But saying I want to also build the whole thing and that is what a UX developer is, I think is just my personal opinion, just not a thing. Might exist out there somewhere, but it's definitely a unicorn. Yeah. Sounds like it, yeah. So other things user experience is not, it's not making things look pretty. That's UI, that's visual design. It's not IT, it's not testing. Um, it is It is doing usability testing, but it is not an all-encompassing testing like you would have like a test engineer. It is not, why does this not work in the application? I mean, Maybe it's why do I not understand this? You may find out, you know, a, an issue you're having with your your product if someone says, why doesn't this work? But it's not, can you set this up for me? Can you, you know, you know this this service is down. Can you fix it? It's not. It's not any of those things. Yeah, I, I've definitely <laughs> seen people expect like, oh, well, so you're going you're gonna to test this and you're going to. Mm-hmm. But but it might involve like testing up front in, in terms of like research, right? To figure yes. out like, what is the best interaction. Yes. 
that you want to implement, right? Yes, exactly. And so there's there's sort of two branches or or you know ways to go down UX. There's a, a generalist or a specialist, and a generalist kind of has to pick and choose the best parts of each of those each of those skills in in user experience to sort of best uh, complete the project they're working on. But you may have someone who focuses specifically on user experience research, uh, maybe someone who focuses specifically on usability, on information architecture, which is you know essentially what is the structure or the order of the uh, information, the content in your product? Is it easy to find the most necessary information? You may have someone who focuses on interaction design as it pertains to user experience and like visual design. Essentially, a, a UX designer may do UI design, but not all UI designers do UX design. Sure, that makes sense. More like just enlightening. Yeah, it's it, very interesting. It makes sense based on like my interactions with designers and UX designers. It also makes sense why I've met so many frustrated designers. They're probably being forced into roles that they are not comfortable with and probably should not be performing in order to really get the the best use of their time, the best bang for the buck. Yeah. You're you're you shouldn't make them, you know, force them into roles that they're they're not that they're not experts at because they are experts in these other things. Yeah. And there's just so many different avenues, even in design that, that I didn't cover, like, you know, your branding design, your um, your service design, um, your voice you know, interface design. There's all these different branches that I have either no experience or minimal experience from earlier in my career in that if someone came to me in my job and said, could you create a logo for this? Probably could. But should I? Probably not. <laughs> well, what about the interaction between product and design? Because you know, when I think about product and design, I think about two groups that are working very much upfront on the the planning and designing of a feature of a solution before it ever really gets to a developer. These two groups of people are doing a lot of the a lot of the upfront legwork. So, how do these two groups? How do these two people work together? Yeah, so I've thought about this a lot in my career because sort of early on, it felt earlier in my career, it felt like they were very separated. Um, product in some of my previous jobs would just kind of throw something to me when they finished all the requirements. They've gotten all the sign off from stakeholders and it's already too rigid to make any real changes in it. And they said like, make it design. And you're just selecting button colors. and Right. And it's yeah. when you've already said, I have to have this button on here. I have to have this thing. And when I just see what my five options are for my design system that I created and throw them in there. And now I've done almost nothing. Um, And I feel like that's just too late to involve design. Um, What I've actually been pushing for um, in my current role uh, over the past few years and what I think it doesn't work for everyone, but what I feel like works really well, at least for us, is having design involved as early as possible. So I am in as many product meetings as I can make myself be in, even when they don't originally invite me, I just say, add me to that. And sometimes it's just to get an idea of what things the product managers are working on, what ideas they're coming up with. But other times it's I can interject some, you know, useful information like, oh, we've tried that before, or, you know, that's actually a feature that I've been wanting to do for the UI. Maybe we can combine the two and we can make a more, you know, wholesome user experience. And I even like to include the, you know, the product managers to say, how would you solve this or what do you like about this? Because with being a team of one it is super useful and valuable to get other, you know, other opinions, other um, 
other viewpoints in to say, you know, I've experienced or used this this particular product and had the following experience with it. And this made so much sense and actually works with you know, the, the um, issue we're trying to solve um, as opposed to me just trying to solve it by myself, like in a silo. Absolutely. I found that some of my absolute favorite conversations, the ones that get me really fired up and excited about a product happen with the designer because we're both sitting there and we're throwing out ideas and we're feeding off of each other and we come up with something way better than I think either one of us would have come up with alone. So I, I really value that relationship with my designers. Right. And it, it, it started to be a little challenging to maintain that relationship you know, since we've been at home, you know, because of COVID yeah. and I, I found yeah. the best thing I could do was, so I have an iPad and I can work better with that with the stylus, but I get like a whiteboarding app, whether it's Jamboard or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever I find and I share it with them and say, let's just whiteboard out the idea we're talking about. And I'll just be scribbling something they'll add to it. And it, it really feels the way that it did when we were still in the office and could collaborate. And those are the things I get the most excited about. I started show it like I recently had a whiteboarding and started showing them designs I'd been kind of keeping to myself because I was afraid people would say like, we're never going to get to that. I was like, look at this, let's make this part of this project too. And started you know, really yeah. getting all the creative or creativity flowing. Um, and I think that's the best partnership for product and design is to just understand what the other person is doing, what they bring to the table and look at it collaboratively, not just, well, I have to give, a, ta- a list of tasks to design and a list of tasks to engineering, but involving it as like a, a discussion and iterating on those ideas, I think can be yeah. a lot more beneficial to your product. Yeah. I think people are missing out if they're not doing that for yeah. sure. Well, what is this? What is something that you wish that product managers knew about design and tread lightly? Cause you've worked with both me and yeah, Aaron. As um, something that I've been struggling with communicating with uh, people before. And I think I've just recently started to figure out how to say it is that if you're trying to solve a new issue, but there could be more than one solution, don't start with telling a designer, we could do this thing. Because whether you want to or not, that designer is going to go down that path and be stuck with that in their mind. I, I've pushed back before with not the two of you, but with people before oh, never. saying, you know, like, I understand that, that what you've given me is a potential solution, but I, my brain is stuck on this and I can't think of anything else. And they just would say, well, I don't, you know, I don't know why I can't do that. You know, I'm just trying to help. And I definitely get, you know, it's a, a well-intentioned thing. Oh, sure. Yeah. But I mean, like as, as product managers, we're always told, you know, don't solution, don't build solutions, yes. talk about problems, yes. uh, look for, look for problems, how to describe a problem and work with designers, work with architects, work with developers yeah. to figure out the solution. Right. It's a delicate balance. It's a delicate balance to find because I also try to include the product managers that are working on that in the sort of brainstorming for solutions. It's what I try to do is say, you know, present to me the issue we're trying to solve. Give it to me from here's the problem, not necessarily here are some solutions. Let me think about it for even a couple of hours, maybe a few days, and then let's meet and talk about it and give me all of your ideas. By that point, I've had time to sort of absorb it and think of my own ideas. And then we can see what are the, what are ideas that you've mentioned match things that I've said? Let's focus on those because if we've both thought of the same idea, maybe there's some merit to that and good on that path. That would be one really good thing to just give designers the space to sort of do their process and, and go through their design thinking process before jumping in with solutions. 
Yeah, I definitely feel guilty now, like listening to this, thinking of how we interacted. Cause like, <laughs> but now I'm thinking back, but I've learned, Emily, I've learned so much. Um, and I think of how- me too. I've learned how to, how to communicate. And <laughs> I've learned, yeah, exactly. That don't throw things over and, and don't say like, do this, you know, I'm a big fan now of the double diamond, uh, approach where you're sort of like you start wide to figure out the right what is this <laughs> it's oh okay oh, it's so good it's great it's it's like a design um approach to figuring out so the first diamond is all right here's a general thing i'm trying to solve figure out the right uh, way to solve it and then you kind of hone in on like the specific solution and then you kind of go wide again to be how what's the right way to implement okay. that solution from a, a design perspective i like that um, and then you come back in to close your second diamond and, uh, nice. that's the double diamond, but it's, it's useful because it's just a good approach to thinking like about problem solving and rather than saying like mm-hmm. fix this problem, which is like a single diamond, I guess. Cause I think that to me, that's so much of the value that, uh, UX brings to the table is like figuring out what is even like, what is the right problem to solve right in the first place? Right. Um, and the other thing that I, in addition to sort of giving designers that time and that space, I think the other thing that I would say to product managers is to give them the, the, the lead time on things. The other frustration that I would get with any product manager was we need to have this designed and the engineering team is going to start on it next week. And so then it's the same thing, uh, the, the sort of same, you know, unfortunate yeah. outcome of, sort of sending them down a narrow path with here's a solution idea as saying, here's a time constraint where you have to kind of throw out some of the things you normally do. Maybe you, you slack on your research or you have to cut out some of your explore, exploratory ideas and sort of go with what you know is going to work, even if it may not be the best solution. That's such a hard one because I think sometimes as product managers, Mm -hmm. we are also handed things at the last minute and told we need to go and implement that. But that, but that's why it's so important to talk to your designers early on. So if I've just found something out, my first call needs to be to the designer to start talking about it as soon as I hear about it. Even if it's, you know, even if it's due next week, like we can both work on this deadline crunch together versus I find out about it. I get six days to to think about it and prepare. And then I give you one, you know, even if it is a short deadline, you can still bring the designer in as quickly as possible to try and mitigate some of that rush. Exactly. And as designers, we are all very familiar with that sort of deadline crunch to do, you know, turn out a design really quickly. And admittedly, some of my best work has come out of some, short time crunches because just all of that adrenaline is up and all, you know, all, uh, blood <laughs> none of us would be working in this industry if we weren't good at deadlines. It's true. <laughs> working under pressure. Yeah. But, but mm-hmm. so we, we, so designers definitely are, you know, not unfamiliar with something mm-hmm. just hitting your desk at the last minute. And I think you said it best, like letting your designers know as early as you know, they're going to be more understanding, even if it is still a short deadline, if, You've given me as much as much of a, a head start as possible. That's more than giving me almost no head start. And I will say, working in product management, I now have a, a much bigger respect for when I would get a last minute request from someone, whether it be one of you or another product manager, and think, why did they not tell me about this sooner? I have found so many things like that where it's the last minute, we just discovered this thing we have to do. And who knows why we didn't find out sooner? It wasn't product's fault, but 
sometimes you think that it is, you know, it just comes down the line. You go, great. Yeah, sometimes it's no one. Sometimes it's nobody's fault. Sometimes these things just happen. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes a customer says that one nice thing in a meeting about can't wait to get that feature you promised me. And then mm-hmm. we go, what are you talking about? And everybody has a scramble. So. Yeah. That's why it's good to develop those relationships so that you can you can talk openly about those kinds of things and you know, just say, hey, I'm I'm sorry. This sucks. There's nothing we can do about it. <laughs> Let's mm-hmm. work together and figure it out. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So when a PM has a new project and they actually have lead time <laughs> to give you, you've got, you know, maybe your ideal amount of lead time. How does that initial conversation look? How do you want a PM to approach a new product, mm-hmm. a new project or feature? Yeah. So I think how that works isn't going to be the same for every designer and product manager uh, pairing. But what has worked really well for me is if you're my product manager and you have a new feature that's going to involve design and you're maybe you've just gotten sort of the early specifications around it, you you know, maybe you've done a little bit of brainstorming, a couple hours here and there to just sit down with me and run me through the idea or the problem space without the solution in it, just the way you would if you were going to present it to another product manager or to an engineering team to just just pitch it to me. Here's the issue we're trying to solve. Here's why we're doing it here's what I want. Maybe, maybe that answer is we want to solve this by adding something within the UI. Like you can still say we want, you know, a way to report or we want a reporting dashboard. When it becomes solutioning for me, like a dashboard is a great example, uh, is when you say we want this type of chart to display this information. At that point, you could just download a chart design or just give that to an engineer. But if you want, you know, a dashboard and say, I need these metrics that are you know, these are my key metrics that we've identified we want to want to highlight we want these are the ones that are most important these are the ones that are sort of lesser importance but would be good nice to have i can then look at how can i best represent data point a and b maybe i can show an interesting correlation between the two and highlight you know the best way to display them within a dashboard with sort of that that free range to do it because i haven't been sort of guided down a path of a specific type or specific way to display that data. Yeah, I think I've always had the most successes when I involved design from the very beginning, from the time like I have an idea. Because I think there's there's work that you need to do before you can even get to the point of writing requirements. Yeah. Uh, you have to like discover like what is the real problem, right? What what do we want to solve? What is important to customers? And only then can you start to like write requirements, right? And kind of hone in on that. And at that point, like hopefully design has done like much of their work that they need to do in that part in the, you know, the discovery phase. Right. I mean, you don't have to even have that much to present to the designer if you are ready to talk about it and want them to start thinking about it. Some of the some of the more productive conversations I've had with a product manager around like sort of whiteboarding, you know, and coming up with these ideas came from, hey, do you have five minutes? Let's go grab a whiteboard and I want to tell you about an idea. And there I would be no requirements in front of me. Nothing was formal. They would just say, I've been thinking about doing the following thing. What do you think? And we would, I would just immediately go, okay, to the whiteboard. Let me draw out what that might look like. Maybe they do this with it. And we would just sort of play off of each other from that. At that point, the product manager could take that information from our, our session and go further refine their requirements because now they've got a better idea of the idea of, you know, the product they want to build or the new feature. So the earlier you can, you can involve design, the better. I know just having design 
have a seat at the table in those discussions, even if it's too early to really do any work, it is still beneficial to say, here's what's coming up. You can start thinking about it. You can do some research if you want to. Sometimes I may just create an entire mock-up because I get really inspired by that idea. We may not look at it again for two months, but I've been able to you know, sort of have that freedom and go down that process myself. Excellent. So I'm curious to know, Emily, what you think about user research. Is, is user research necessarily the responsibility of UX or product, or is it shared between the two? So I think traditionally it is the responsibility of user experience, whether that be a generalist or a researcher. I personally think it should expand beyond that. I even have some engineers on my team who are very interested in doing user research themselves. And they want, by that, I mean, they want to talk to our customers. They want to do almost like side-by-side kind of uh, usability testing and walk through you know, how they interact with the product and get that kind of feedback. So really anyone who's interested in research, I think should participate in user research. So it just means you have that many more people who can help. And I will be the first to admit, I am not the best at user research. And it is largely because I just do not have enough time, even if I don't sleep. Um, When I have seven titles and, you know, 16 different things I have to do, I have to kind of pick and choose where I can do research. And what's interesting about it and great about it is that there are so many different avenues you can go down with research that you can kind of, or at least I have to look at the project and say, what is the, going to be the most valuable research uh, type to use for this project? And then if I have time to do more, then I will do more. Yeah, I was very lucky to have like a dedicated user research team in my last uh, role, mm-hmm. which was really nice, but definitely I think more of a luxury than the norm. But it was, it was great to have uh, guidance on like how to go about like even con- how to conduct the research. Yeah. What do we want to research in, in general? What are we trying to know about the customer? Like mm-hmm. what questions are we answering for ourselves? Just having that expertise on the team is really, really useful. Even if, even if it's spread out, the actual work is actually spread out across various different members of the team. Having someone who can give you direction and knows what they're doing yeah, <laughs> is exactly. very helpful. So how do you go about understanding what it is that users really want? Something that I think we've we've discussed here on the show before is that, you know, users don't often know what they want. Um, And if you if you ask them what they want next, then it's the the classic Henry Ford. They want a faster horse, but really what they need is a car uh, example. So how do you get to that? How do you find out that it's the car that they want and not the faster horse? or the car that they need and not the faster horse. Right. So hopefully if my uh, traditionally trained research friends hear this, they won't hate me for my answers. But I think um, there's a couple of things you can do. It is always good to ask, you know, your users what they want, because that even if it's not necessarily the right answer, they're still, they're coming at you with that for a reason. So that gives an interesting perspective. What has been really helpful for me um, is having those users, whether it be, you know, like a customer who's speaking to through um, like a, a customer support representative, or if it's an internal user, you know, whether it be an engineer or researcher who is using our product to the same for the same reason of not wanting, you know, someone to solution um, a problem, but to just describe to me where this is not working, describe to me what 
what you were trying to do when you got frustrated or, you know, what is the the issue you're running into or, you know, what, what do you feel like you're not able to do with the product? And that can usually identify maybe a, the thing they need that they didn't know they need. What were you doing when you got frustrated is a question that I learned from you and I have found it to be very, very useful. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's good. It's Yeah. Yes, you were frustrated. This thing was broken or was not working. But what were you doing? What led you there? What were you trying to do? Because the thing that you're also useful in all kinds of circumstances, not yeah. just use research. Yeah, right. The, the issue Daily could be life. that this thing, this button didn't work. But maybe if what you were trying to do was, you know, something that that button isn't connected to, well, maybe that's why it isn't working. Maybe we need to see if if you're always trying to do this other action, if you're trying to download this report and you're clicking this button, but it's really doing is just, you know, saving your search or something. then maybe we need to make that download button more prominent. We need mm-hmm. to adjust where those are, you know, within the product so that when you go to do that, it is where you, you know, expect it to be. It is more intuitive. You're not having to search for what you're you know, trying to do. Yeah. It's such a useful question. Yeah. And one tool that I've actually found really useful in uncovering what users really want, even if they don't know what they want, is full story. Not an ad. I I have loved this product for years. I also love it just to see what my, you know, engineers, when they go in to either test something they've just built or, you know, to demo something to someone else in the company, to see how it is they think they're supposed mm-hmm. to use the product. I love that I can I can go in and see only the fields that I care yep. about. You know, I can make the things that are not important, uh, private, and see how they navigate through. Where, what are they focusing on the most? Yep. And is the reason that this thing isn't being interacted with, is it because they just don't see it? Are they not going to that page? Yeah. Or is it because they see it, but it's not valuable? Like you... You, you can't get all of the information you need from just one avenue. You still have to do, you know, uh, interviews. You can do um, like focus groups or user groups. But it's another sort of layer. It's essentially Yeah, like, nothing beats seeing someone actually interact with your exactly. app. And it's, you're always going to see things that you didn't, don't expect and that you weren't anticipating. And, you know, no matter what we like to think about this you know, our beautiful baby that we've created, users don't see everything on a page. They just don't. They see the most prominent stuff and they move on. And even even early in when I started at Pindrop, I went to visit a customer like at their site. I sat next to um, some of our users for several hours and I said, like, show me what you do. And and I did my best to ask them, you know, non-leading questions or leading questions if I wanted to and, and sort of give them the space to still you know, do their job and let me sort of see how they use it. But I, they still seem to be like performing or trying mm-hmm. to do what I wanted to see. And having a tool like that takes that, you know, that away where they aren't say, seeing this as this designer is watching me. Let me make sure that I do it the way I'm supposed to. Yeah. Let me make sure that I, you know, show her everything that I want to, you know, want her to see. And instead it's them using it, you know, in a regular day to day. It's actual usage. It's really showing when they get frustrated or showing when they are successful. Oh yeah. My, my favorite feature that they have is the, the rage click. Rage click. Yeah. Yes. It'll identify you when, when there's been a rage click and that's, <laughs> that's definitely been useful in the past. That's a great feature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It really yeah, is. I, I've had to learn when to ignore it because our automated tech. Somebody's going to get mad. At well, any- because our, 
So our automated testing will click on things that are hovers to make oh. a hover appear and it shows up as rage clicks. And so I have to look at it and say, show me only these customers. Now are these real rage clicks? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so you bring up a good point. Uh, so, so these sort of tools like full story, um, you know, they, they give you a, a, a deeper like understanding of what the customers are doing. Uh, they also give you a like, great insights into like usage metrics and analytics. Mm-hmm. I assume these are, you know, metrics are probably important to design just as much uh, as they are to like product, right? How how do you use metrics? Yes, I love data. So we had full story for a bit. We stopped using it and then we brought it back recently. And in between that and then still now, I was also using another tool, which is Mixpanel. And it's much more just event driven. It shows me someone clicked on this thing and then I can see a timeline of they clicked here, they went to this page, they clicked on this, maybe they saved this form or they you know typed something here. But I don't get that for lack of a better phrase, full story of their journey. But it does give me a, a much more detailed way to dig into the metrics of what they're doing. And I've had to often have the conversation when you know, like a product manager says, well, there's this, I keep coming back to dashboards because it's very near to my heart, uh, but there's this dashboard page. Does anyone even use it? Should we really be redesigning it if no one's going to it? And so they say, Emily, do you have the metrics? And I have to have the same conversation of, I do, but metrics are not going to tell you just one thing. They're going to show you one side of it and you're sort of missing the rest of that context. Yes, I could say that the pages for this particular page are in the you know bottom five of the entire app, but that doesn't mean that they're not interested in having that content. It could mean that they don't find that content valuable in its current form. Maybe we should look at is the data accurate? Are the you know, is the way we're presenting it useful? Are we making it so complicated that they don't understand it and then they just abandon it? You can't just take it as they don't want reporting because they don't go to it. So you, there, there isn't a single source of truth here. You need to do the user interviews. You need to, you know, yeah. maybe use the, the software that will show you what the user is actually doing when they're not being watched. You need to look at the metrics, all of this together yeah. to get a holistic picture of what's yeah. happening, what users need, what what they actually, what what problem you can solve, really, I guess. Right. If you want to know how many users came to the product in a given time period or how many of them had a Windows or a, P- or a Mac computer or any sort of like demographic stuff like that, I can give you that from one source and we don't have to go you know, interview. But if you want anything that involves emotion or decision, you're going to have to talk to the talk to your users and, and look at it from different angles to get that that full picture of why they are or are not doing something. Wow. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. So what kind of books could you recommend to somebody who's looking to get into design or even just looking to learn more about it? So there are a ton of books. And if if I had more than the allotted time of this podcast, I could read you out the 70 or so books I've got on my shelf. But I picked five that I think are excellent top reading. 
So the staple for designers in school is the design of everyday things by Don Norman. I We've definitely recommended that one on the show before. Yeah. <laughs> I actually reread it recently as part of a book club that um, an engineering team started and they picked this book. Oh, nice. And I act like you can see I went through and was highlighting things and scribbling all in it. And it was almost like I'd read it for the first time. This one has, uh, it was the revised edition. So they've added stuff and sort of taken yeah. out like the handheld phone, like the old phones, <laughs> made more about mobile phones. They've updated it for, for this generation. So it's, oh. it's good. It's got a lot of good information. You'll never look at doors the same again. After never. You I, I used to complain about doors all the time and no one ever got it until they honestly, uh, some of them when they ran into doors at Pendrop where our doors were confusing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they are the worst doors. They are confusing there. What's up with yeah. that? I don't know. It's you can't tell which way it goes. You have to just memorize which floor is an open and uh-huh. which floor is a or a push or a pull. It's bad. So the next one is one you may not have actually heard of. It's called Technically Wrong, and I don't want to uh, butcher her last name, but I think it's Sarah Wachter Botcher, maybe. But it's Technically Wrong, and it's uh. sexist apps, biased algorithms, and other threats of toxic tech. And oh, also witness it was it was honestly really angering but also like rewarding to read some something where i've had these same you know frustrations or um or situations where like i had an experience with an app where it might send me some sort of push notification that was very targeted to a specific you know demographic that actually would, oh, would yeah. unintentionally exclude other demographics and it would always make me really yeah. angry and so I would see this and felt so much better to say like someone else noticed and has written this <laughs> down and said to stop doing it. So I think it's it's good for product managers. It's good for designers. It's good for engineers to read. It, it applies to all yeah, of that. It's great. The other three that I have are all from or published through Rosenfeld Media. I think if you go to their, I think it's rosenfeldmedia.com. They have tons of books around product and design and engineering so you can find something on almost any topic, but the three that I, I recommend the most to people are there's validating product ideas through lean user research. There's a web for everyone, which is near and dear to my heart because I feel like accessibility is something people forget about, you know, making sure that your product can be used by not only people who have a disability, whether it be that they have poor vision or, or they you know, have a vision impairment of any kind or hearing impairment, but also for if you just happen to break your arm and it's your dominant hand, you're going to have to figure out how to use your computer or your phone with your non-dominant hand for a while while you're in a cast. Being able to use those same products as easily also falls into accessibility. And so it's something that gets overlooked. And then the last one is the user experience team of one. So it is a research and design survival guide. I recommended this a lot Ooh. as well. And it's got a lot of interesting information. It's got a lot of good online resources. It was one mm-hmm. of the first books I bought after I started working at Pendrop because I was the user experience design team of one and started wondering how am I going to do all of these things by myself? Yeah. So it's got a lot of good resources of honestly the things that I think I would ask someone if I had another designer or where would you look for this? Or, you know, what's a, what's an online like blog you might recommend for like UX uh, writing. It's got all of that in here. So those are my top five. Nice. I have not heard of Rosenfeld Media before, but those looks like some very interesting uh, books. I'll have to give that a, a look. Yeah. 
they they also do several conferences. They have like a the enterprise design conference. They have some around research, some around like design ops and product ops. They have a lot of a lot of conferences. They're a big a big corporation, but they put out a lot of good books that are written by some well-known names in in the design and research uh, world. So definitely recommend anything wow. from them. That's great. Great list. Thank you. And thank you so much for being part of our very special episode. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Well, Emily, this has been awesome. I'm glad that uh, we've had a really enlightening discussion. And I've learned a lot, actually, about um, design and how I should be better working with designers in the future. Same here. Good. I'm glad to help. Uh, It's been a pleasure. And uh, thank you, Emily, for joining us today. And we'll see you next time, Product Land. Sayonara. Adios. Au revoir. She said it pretty well. I think we need to end on that note. I I took four semesters of French and I remembered none of it except for au revoir and bonjour. That's awesome.